And we are live. Hopefully we're not oh. stealing that from Joe Rogan. Is that, I know Rogan used to say that at one stage. Does he still say that? Kind of, you just end up into the start of one of his conversations. Isn't that usually what happens these days? I'm usually I'm so sure. busy skipping the ads for the first nine minutes that by the time I've landed, I'm usually about two minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does anyone listen to any ads on any podcast anymore? Well, definitely not on the, those podcasts, which you know predictably have them at the start and at the end, because you just fast forward through the, the start and then you uh, you don't listen at the end. But the ones like, the ones in the middle kind of catch you at the odd time. So you watching any of the Europeans? I have been, indeed. I didn't realize I was just watching it for entertainment's sake. I didn't realize that there was Masters divisions in the Europeans. I thought all the Masters had to compete at the Europeans Masters International Tournament, which is on in May. So what are you saying? Had you known you would have been there? Like no, 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 no. No, but I was just more intrigued once I found out there is Masters divisions at that tournament too. So yeah, I was watching it from an entertainment perspective and also just looking at the, the people in the same division as what I would be had I been there. Just for reckoning. I suppose mm-hmm. actually... Some people that are oh, doing you can it. actually watch a lot of those matches, can you? Are all, yeah. all the matches videoed like? Yeah. Every mat has a camera and then you just like search by mat or if you want to watch live, you just watch the mats live and you kinda of have to have a handle on the times that the fights are on. But if you wanna like right. uh, you can look at the brackets after the fact and kinda of like trace through, you know, the, the you can look at the search for the names for the final or whatever. And so was there uh, like so, so there's people there who you expect would be in your division kind of thing, obviously. Yeah, well, I just look up my division. So I looked up Blue Belt Masters 2 middleweight. I looked at that division and I also looked up Blue Belt Masters 2 lightweight. If I do make, if I do end up going down to the, the weight below. So I looked at the finals and I kind of traced the winner of those through a few of the fights up to the final. So like, just say I do make lightweight yeah, the uh, the guy that won that, I watched his whole route from maybe his second match. He fought, I think, it was five matches to win at lightweight right. Masters Two Blue, and he had the same approach. It was interesting. It actually got me thinking a little bit about it. Right. So in every single match, he had this kind of. He was a very tall dude, very like exceptionally tall. But uh, yeah, tall, long. He's got his long legs and whatnot. But um, he had a very very, uh, he had this part of his game where he just like looped the lapel. It wasn't necessarily like a Keenan type lapel guard system or anything, but he had this like, it's almost like an overhook to the lapel. So he'd, he'd break posture, maybe saying close guard or something like that. And then he would have the lapel wrapped over the person so they couldn't kind of posture up. And it just de- debilitated everybody that he was playing against or, or fighting against. They all ended up spending like minutes upon minutes trying to get out of this broken alignment and uh, struggled with it. And then eventually he'd snap something on, whatever it was. I think he got an arm bar. You know, probably won a couple of points, a few things like that. Uh, right, right, but, right. But what's interesting to us is, you know, how um, how competitive did it seem? Did it seem like manageable, doable, given another few months training? Yeah, I think oh, it does. It like- but again, right, so there's a few things. Europeans, and I might be wrong about this, the Europeans, you're going to have less wrestling, so less takedowns. Now, I'm just shooting from the hip here. 
assuming North America is more oh, okay, uh, okay. upbringing. Yeah. So you'll have more takedowns. Whereas in Europe, you probably have more guard <clears throat> going on. Totally might be wrong about that. But my, that's my inkling. So there's loads of guard pulling. I didn't see, actually see one takedown in the fights I was looking at. So this guy was, uh, was all guard pulling. But uh, what I found interesting, so I was thinking about this is, his one tactic of, of like overhooking or his, his conceptual thing about breaking posture with the lapel. I wonder, right, how would I phrase this? I was listening to another podcast during the week, BJJ Mental Coach, shout outs, Gustavo, who does that one? It's actually quite good. I hadn't listened to it before. But uh, in it, he has one where he was interviewing Kit Dale, who's a black belt. He got his black belt in like five years, Australian dude. Yeah, like it's very uh, Kitdale, uh, not Alliance. What's the place I trained in Melbourne? See, Melbourne, he's from Melbourne, yeah, but uh, he lives in America. <coughs> no, you okay. would think of uh, Lachlan Giles, absolute. I'm not, no, I didn't train in absolute. I trained in oh, you did train in absolute. absolute was in town, it was, I didn't, it was in that was in St. Kilda or somewhere, and then yeah, but you trained in absolute in Richmond, no, sorry, you trained in absolute. There's two. Oh yeah, no, it was a different one. Sorry, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, he's from Melbourne, but he's living in uh, America, so he's got a uh, lots of products, you know, DVDs and that kind of stuff. Right, 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 right. Go on, yeah. but anyway, he was talking about like you know, jujitsu and yeah, competition, but an unfair way to determine how people, how good people <clears throat> are at a sport. You know, competition is a bad thing to use in a sense. I know it's like the right thing, like what else do you use? But it's also a bad thing because there's so many variables, you know, right. how one and one thing he honed in on, which is what I'm raising this point was, well, he talked about lots of variables, you know, the sleep the person had the night before, the distance they've traveled to get to the tournament. You know, there's a few things like that, that depending on how you arrive on the day might impact your performance. And that's not to say you're better or worse than the person opposite you. But one thing he talked about was, um, you know, somebody might have a trick mm. and that trick, you could go into any gym. If you're really, really good of, are you mastered a trick? A trick's a bad word. One particular technique or one particular move. If you've mastered that, you could catch anybody with it and you might catch them all once. Right. But the interesting thing about that is like, I think on a competition, in a competition sense, that's all you need to do is, and you're not going to be rolling with people that know your game. So, you know, you could almost like, I wonder, is, is that an approach that some people would use as master one? Probably not a bad idea to, to have a couple of outsiders, just things that, you know, seem way outside your game, but you're actually pretty comfortable in. Yeah, but how would it sit with you then if you won the tournament <clears> just using the, it'd sit fine with me probably, because if you're still winning, it's still jujitsu, <laughs> it's, it's still jujitsu. <laughs> as long as you're not like, you know, it was a silly or like, you know, it's like in um, it's like when you're writing, you know, and you use a strange, uh, uh, a kind of a, a fancy word amidst the the kind of less fancy words, and then it stands out as something. You know, there's a beauty in it, I suppose, if you do it right. I feel like if well, you like have using something the word that's... amidst in the middle of your sentence there. <laughs> exactly. There was a lovely. I saw a lovely um, double unders to Kimura. Have you seen this? You have to give me more than that. Well, it's a double under straight into Kimura. So it's a, it's a peculiar setup and then nice finish. But, um, you know, something like that, if you're, if you're used to doing a double unders game and it works alongside your game, 
you know, it's not totally a kind of a outside your wheelhouse or outside a, I don't know, whatever it is that the art you're trying to bring to something. So what are you saying? I should change my whole approach and just get really, really good at one little trick and just go in, smash five people with it, never see them again and sail off into the distance. <laughs> I have a couple of tricks. Yeah, well, I, I do like the old Peruvian, the Peruvian necktie. I mentioned <clears> that on this before and I've, I wouldn't call it a trick necessarily, but uh, it's a nice option from the front headlock. And I was, I was using that one a good bit now, training during the week. It was working for me. And it's like, it's one that does catch people off because, you know, they go to that front headlock, they're expecting like a bit of a dogfight kind of turtle job. But it, uh, if you snap that on, you game over. Yeah. Anyways, Europeans. So, yeah, watching that, interesting watching it. That's what I learned. I, but, I, yeah, I think, you know, generally speaking, I didn't watch it go, oh, whoa, I'm miles off. I just thought yeah. maybe, you know, I should be, should be able to shout here. Like if I, if I keep on the road, I'm on. Yeah. Well, that's the best you could hope for really, isn't it? So, yeah. What about how stuff been going with respect to your own progress? Uh, very good. I think, you know, training has been going great. So for anyone that has just joined us, or even if you haven't, but you need reminders, I've actually updated my KPIs and game dashboard spreadsheet. So if you go to your Instagram, which is the place to liaise or query or question or contact anything to do with this podcast, it's at eco behavioral designs, behavioral spelled the European way. There's a link there on that Instagram and it brings you to the KPIs and game dashboard. And I have that up to date. Anyone can join in and see where I'm going. But uh, yeah, it's been going pretty good. So there's a few things that aren't working or I just wanted to talk to you about. And yeah. they are, they didn't, they weren't <clears throat> KPIs that you set for me in terms of the eco-behavioral design. They were like my I'll own take no KPI. responsibilities, uh, no responsibility whatsoever. <laughs> well, go, on, go on, go on, go on. You're sharing, you're sharing the, the load here, so... It was my own kind of personal ones. It was like jujitsu at lunchtime. Do you remember I said I was trying to use that lunch break to watch jujitsu videos instead of just you know, randomly surfing the web? Yeah. So I, I was doing That's that for happening. Nah, it's kind of like I think the vid, the, whatever it is, it's good internet. But I'm looking at some BJJ fanatic stuff. I don't know. Maybe there's a. I think the lunchtime one is, is always going to be tricky, right? Because the lunchtime you do. You almost need the bit of a, you know, break. Rest, really. Yeah. You need some time um, to randomly scroll <clears throat> through your phone. Yeah, I think there's something in that. So I'd be cautious about using that time anyway. But I also think, well, is that all? Because I could maybe give this spiel in. Oh, a whole, wait a second. I'll let you know. Else so. gonna say. Well, everything else is good. Yeah, so the, a couple other things. So I think what I, it's safe to almost say now I have as habits are my no break between rounds, my standing up between rounds, my accepting all roles. I don't know, is it fair? To, when can you call a habit a habit? But they're almost a given, at least for the moment. As long as I yeah, keep you don't have to think about them. There's they've no pro- like reflection. No, they've, they've propagated. <laughs> but uh, that's good. Uh, I make my plans at the end of each day. I'm reminding myself in the car generally. I think uh, in the last few weeks is once I didn't remind myself in the car. But other things that aren't 
going as well. It says the, the Jiu-Jitsu lunch. And then on the Saturdays, I'm still doing this dashboard update. The plan, though, that you put into the design was to do it on a Saturday morning. It's not happening on a Saturday morning. I mentioned in the last one, I done one on a Friday night. And then I think last week I did it on some other time. So it's, it's not built into my routine well, but I'm still yeah. doing it. So I'm guessing that means there's a higher chance it might fall off my routine unless I can embed it better. So any, yeah. like I had an idea there. You know, tell me if you think this is good or not. I know you just argued about jujitsu at lunchtime. But if I just picked one of those lunchtimes, like on a Monday, so Monday lunchtime, instead of doing my Saturday dashboard, I just do my dashboard at work on my lunch every Monday. Because that is a cornerstone that exists in my day and in my week. You know, I, the jujitsu one at lunchtime fell off the radar because just the connection for the videos was just slow. And then it's just kind of like yeah. fizzled away. So I think I could still do that. So it's worth trying that again. What do you reckon on if that? If you feel, yeah, yeah. There's always a risk, you know, with any change, just taking on too much. And you did take on more than, say, we had outlined, just because you felt some of the stuff you're already doing and it wouldn't be too much of an uptake. But my sense, okay, go back to the lunchtime thing a second and saying what I was going to say is that you have the baby coming I wouldn't be committing to, say, including anything that's not already there and not essential or really trying to, you know, move things around that aren't essential either. So I'd, I'd kind of leave that off for the time being. And, you know, you're probably seeing enough technique and getting enough exposure to the stuff you need to be getting exposed to anyway. Yeah, true. Um, as long as you have the technique that you're using as you're going to train and you know what that is, well, then, you know, that's the, the kind, of, kind of primary. But so the second thing was, oh, yeah, you said you missed one day with the... Driving to work. Driving to work. Well, obviously, that's not, not a lot to worry about. Well, actually, I, mean, I missed two two days since the start of the year. And wh- what, what do you put that down to on those days? I didn't. There was uh, one was a Saturday and I had no plan. Do you know what I mean? Because the plan I'd been making at the end of the workday to do it then on the Tuesday and Thursday night. So Saturday morning, I hadn't developed a plan for the day. So there's nothing to remind right. myself about. Yeah, that's why I think Saturday morning is good too, because, you know, for the the overall plan, not to say that the Monday wouldn't work, but, you know, you have that mindset then going in on that Saturday afternoon and you probably have a bit more space to think about stuff that you wouldn't have on the weeknights. Does that seem fair? Yeah, I just—it's not. It's not I'm just telling you, it's not. It's not working at the moment on Saturdays. So it's, if it's not working, it's not working. I think I need to change it, just to embed yeah. it better. Well, there's two things. You, you know, you either change it and you move around and put it somewhere else where you think there's an existing cornerstone and it'll be easily slotted in, which is probably, you know, which is a good option. Or else you say, uh, kind of uh, bring more pressure in a sense, right? So you introduce the constraints that would actually make it more likely to occur on the Saturday. And they could be, say, on the Friday evening, setting an alarm for the Saturday morning, or, I mean, any number of things that you think actually might generate the kind of pressure that you need in order to get it done that time. Now, they're both worth exploring, I think. Okay. But why not have a have a feel? You know, Monday, we tend to be a bit more psyched around prep for the week and all that maybe try monday to see how it feels with looking over your plan yeah okay i'll do that 
we'll try that and see how that goes. And if that doesn't work, we'll go back to introducing some pressures or constraints next Saturday to get onto my dashboard. But uh, and so to talk about Saturday morning, like wh- why hasn't it happened the couple of times it hasn't or the once it hasn't? Or? Just, you know, just chilling out, just like it's the first kind of break in the week, first morning that I don't have to get up. You know, you've been working yeah. Monday to Friday, you just want to lounge and then I go to jujitsu training. So just lounging around, yeah, hanging out. Just, uh, yeah, I suppose, yes, Saturday is a tough one, right? Like if I want to get, then go and jump on a spreadsheet and stuff, it's like, ugh. <laughs> Sure, I've been looking at spreadsheets all week. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, maybe it's mo- Monday is probably better. So, but what about the time and the complexity of the thing that you're doing on the spreadsheet? Is that too much? No, no. How long does it take? A minute. Well, five minutes. Yeah, try the Monday. So, see you go. Cool. It's actually uh, the spreadsheet. Uh, it's interesting. I'm like my nightly KPI score. I'm generally hitting fours. Like if anyone's just joined us, that basically means I'm, I know some of my game and I'm making a decent, decent effort to enact it. Yeah, but uh, that's good. The next jump, like I said before, is know my game fairly well from all positions, but didn't make good effort to enact it. So the next thing is knowing my game fairly well from all positions, which is developing. I definitely kind of a lot of knee and belly this week. A lot of, like I say, I hit a few Peruvians, which are kind of like niche. Uh, yeah. Started hitting some baseball bat chokes, which I didn't have in part of my game, but they were kind of they fit in nicely because I like that kind of chokes from knee on belly. So mm. the baseball bat one is nice. I hit a few of them during the week. Yeah, it's a sneaky one to set up too. It is, yeah. So going pretty well. If anyone wants to have a look, jump on the uh, the Instagram and you can keep up to speed. Right. So, any other potential changes or additions or subtractions? No, that's it. Like training's going well. Everyone in class has been great. Uh, training partners and the coaches and lots of pointers and intensity and everything's going well. So, yeah. Well, I think um, say once the baby comes, once things settle a little bit after that, and once say yeah everything is kind of sedimented again, and you have a feeling of these things still working for you. Then we can maybe think about, you know, what are the next big additions that need to happen and start introducing them as well. Yeah, sounds good. The um, the one thing that has been working well is like the, we talked about before is like, it is like I've vi- I have a vision board here, but I also have like this uh, whiteboard, which just says every day of the month. It's just like a monthly whiteboard. And I have uh, reminders there to, you know, obviously I've got the three days I do jujitsu on those same three days. I also do my planks, yeah. But on the other f- four days, I have hanging, right. And then as I do each of those activities each day, I check it off, right. So I'll actually add that to the um, Instagram, Google Drive, so people can see what that looks like. But I found it good because it it's like a pressure, you know. It, before I go to bed, if I haven't done my plank or my hanging, or you know. Yeah. I just remind, and I, I honestly think if I didn't have it there, it, I wouldn't have enough pressure on myself to do it. And now I'm looking at a board which has, what do we know? I've got like 25, 26, so it's 24 of the 25 days behind us in January. I've got a, a tick there that I've done what I set out to do. I've an X on one of them one night. I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to plank. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, 
Yeah, some people call that don't break the chain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, the day after breaking the chain, the day after I didn't plank, it was very easy to almost not do it again. But I had a yeah, feeling that the, the danger with those kinds of approaches is that they are fragile. You know, it's like, well, some people have a rule, the two-day rule or, you know, don't break the chain or the, the kind of, uh, what is the longest chain I can get, all that kind of stuff. So what, what are you saying? You're a bad idea? Oh, it's like, there's no bad ideas if they're working, but I do think there's a fragility kind of inherent to that that I don't particularly rely on anymore. I think if you're doing that, it's, you know, taking off can still be useful, but don't be thinking about it as a pressure necessarily. Maybe it's just more tracking. But if it's working as a pressure, you know, don't deny it either. And I suppose this uh, is where you're coming from with your eco-behavioral design is like a lot of the existing approaches they don't tell you what to do when you come off the wagon a little bit, except for these things like the two-day rule and whatnot. Right, and they don't have the logic of, you know, why it's not working when it's not working or why it is when it is. And I just think, yeah, that, again, that fragility, right, that's, it's not really, it's not really kind of embedding the practice in the way that you want it to. Now, that can be sometimes just down to the nature of the practice and it's not something that, one feels overly committed to or whatever but then again you're going back like eco behavioral design i would hope has the kind of the framework and the understanding and the concepts to to help you make sense of that right so we talked before about native habits and everything so for instance i'm doing this growing a yogi thing at the moment and um you know i've messed around with all that stuff in the past just kind of experimenting and for a while even not so long ago, was doing that two-day rule thing. This is a kind of experiment. And it is helpful, but again, it has that fragility built into it. If it works for you and it works for you, you know, and, it, and it's keeping, and it's kind of working for you over the longer term, all well and good. But for me, with the Grona Yogi thing, I was just like, look, every day is practice day. If I miss a day, I'm not concerned whether or not I should do the following day because I'm committed to some two-day rule. It's just no... The following day is the following day and it should be practice day anyway, right? And that's somehow less fragile, right? Because it's not relying on maintaining something that... Yeah, you know, yeah. So what if you like, you know, yeah, I suppose the two-day rule, what happens if you break the two-day rule? Exactly. Well, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, then you have to kind of recommit to it, right? And, be, and build it back up for yourself and, you know, and kind of use whatever momentum that it seems to manifest. Now, that, it can be a handy one, right? Because if you miss a day, you're kind of aware that you're missing a day. And in that day, you kind of reorient yourself and build yourself back up for the next day. And, um, you know, the next day, then you are definitely more likely to practice. But, you know, that doesn't always happen either. Should, should you kind of, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the two-day rule in case people aren't aware of what the two-day rule is. Well, some people talk about, you know, useful, say, intervention when trying to establish some sort of novel habit, um, particularly if it's more challenging, is say, I will practice yoga at least every second day, even if I'm aiming for every day, at least every second day. So the idea is that you give yourself a bit of leeway. So if you skip one day, you get back. Or if you miss a day. day. Yeah, if you miss a day. You miss a day, yeah. I mean, you know, so you, you have never to be two days. That's kind of the thing. Yeah, you have to be sensible with it, I suppose, and kind of give yourself the additional leeway of, well, if I'm sick or if you know circumstances don't allow, 
obviously, but but yeah, again, I would I, I, that there is some sort of fragility in, inherent to it. But I can tell you a bit about this uh, Grona Yogi because it's it's proved kind of interesting because um, how big is the Yogi? You know? as, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, yeah, go on, tell us about it. I'm interested. Before. I know you you mentioned it before, so it's on your Instagram. If anyone wants to follow along, see, are you doing stories there and stuff, just keeping people up to date? Is that what you're doing? Well, that's just the journal I'm taking because I, I want to do a I want to do a kind of academic study of the say phenomenology of identity change over a longer term. So I'm thinking if I kind of uh, do a kind of auto ethnographic thing where I'm just observing the the elements in my experience that seem relevant to this change that, you know, in a year's time or so, I'll be able to distill that into something that's that's actually kind of valuable. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm kind of boring people with those journal entries, but uh, uh, what I was trying to do and what I am trying to do is um, kind of uh, give people a sense of how to approach this themselves. So I started in January and the idea was I'm kind of, you know, run in parallel to people's efforts to make resolutions and stick to them, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, I've had an insane amount of technical disasters, so I haven't been able to keep up with the videos, but I have been keeping up with the journal and stuff. But yeah, it's been interesting because I've done yoga for a long time, which is nearly, I would say... <laughs> say Jesus. Did I say Jesus? Uh, step. Brian, you, you yeah. flip, you're flipping between a, a Mark a, a, a Dublin 4 ac- academic talk and then Mark back wished. <laughs> My colleagues always accuse me of that, actually. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, so, yeah, the idea was, oh no, I was saying, I was talking about yoga. So, yeah, I started yoga maybe 13 years ago, the first time I, I did yoga and I I did it actually quite consistently for a while because I had the space and the time to do it and I did it for about a, a year and a half but it was um, Kundalini yoga which is quite specific in the world of yoga it's not it's not the real flowy kind of stuff that tends to be popular in uh, you know in yoga studios in, in the city kind of thing of course it does exist there but it looks a bit different and then I gave that up because I was doing other stuff, but it's something I've kind of came and went from over the years on and off and something I keep coming back to, you know, I feel, I suppose, called to it in some sense. And I really enjoy it as a practice. And I suppose I enjoy it because I like to move and be in my body, but I also like the kind of contemplative aspects of it. Yeah. But I've always kind of struggled, right? Because I've always, not always, but I found it, more and more recently kind of boring to set up yourself at home and you know stick on your yoga for half an hour or whatever and go through the sequences but that's frustration of like coming to it and going from it and coming to it and going from it and knowing that there's something there for me and also seeing it as a kind of good counter to bjj right because jiu-jitsu tends to be kind of destructive on the body whereas yoga tends to be more restorative and, you know, they exist in a nice kind of symbiosis if if the two are running alongside each other. So I kind of wanted this year to kill a load of birds, right? Get the academic 
value out of it by doing the journal, also instill the yoga practice and uh, do something that was useful for uh, the eco-behavioral design on the Instagram and stuff. And I thought it might be a nice project to do this kind of fairly large scale behavior change and, and document it both for myself and for other people. So I've committed to that and it's been really interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, the first thing I had to do was kind of make space for it because, you know, I've mentioned a few times attentive, uh, scattered focus and then end up having too many things on. And, you know, I think in the past I was trying to fit it in maybe a bit more around things. So I decided for the time being, just get rid of, not get rid of, but put it aside, just the more meditation I was doing. I was thinking, well, that could be another bird killed with the same stone if I can integrate it into this practice. So, yeah, I've been going through that and having good success up and up until this point with it. So tell us um, what's happened. Like, what have you done? Are you doing a similar approach to what we were doing with the jujitsu, with you know, looking at cornerstones in your day and then building off that kind of stuff? Yeah. So yeah, I'll go through the basics. So. So I suppose the first thing, you know, that's good to think about when thinking about change is the the, the question of, is this good for me, right? Is, is, it, is this a good time now, native? actually, sorry, before you start into this, if if somebody else is uh, listening at home and they've got this far and they're non-jujitsu practitioners, but they're looking themselves at something they want to change in themselves that they might have started to, it might be a good time yeah, to, to yeah, listen yeah. up here. might be a good time to get the pen and paper and maybe I'll just go through the kind of... Um, the process. Oh yeah, sure. You, you, you just put in the show notes afterwards, won't you? <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> you need that's to the, get that's the jo- that's, I think that's the joy of not having show notes. Yeah, as I always think, it's like show notes is a would be necessary if it was like if this was shown in theaters and you couldn't re- rewind it. Yeah, I think the only the only the only way you can make that feasible is if you're actually getting paid to do it because it's probably a big effort. Yeah. The like, um, first person yeah, that asked so like, yeah. <laughs> when when we get ten requests for show notes, we put show <laughs> notes up. Let's leave it at that. But anyways, go on. Uh, yeah, so I suppose yeah, if you are thinking about your own practice or whatever, maybe jujitsu or otherwise, I'll give you the bullet points here. So yeah, the first thing I was thinking about is you know is this or is this not a, what I talk about as a native behavior? Right? Does it will it fit into the existing ecology in a way that's likely to take hold? Actually, I made a recent post on this on my Instagram, so you can kind of look there and I introduced the scale that you can kind of query yourself on that gives you a sense of whether or not the thing that you're thinking about might be considered native or not. And, you know, the idea there is that the higher on the scale it is, it probably is more likely that it's something that will, you know, take root. What's number one on the scale and what's number five on the scale just for... For reference purposes, oh, I'd have to read it, but it's something like, "I am not at all intrinsically motivated to this, but other people do it, and it seems like a good idea." That was like yeah. number one. You know, I actually have it here. So yeah, I'm not at all. Number one is I'm not at all intrinsically motivated to take up this behavior, but other people are doing it and it seems to work for them. And number five is I am very excited by it, and it aligns with some of the other things I'm involved in. Right. So, you, you know, there I'm trying to point towards there being an ecology. And if something is introduced to that in a way that resonates throughout, right, it's more feels more meaningful and is thus more likely to take hold. So the kind of higher up on that scale, it is the more likely. Now, this comes with the caveat, right, that 
everybody's in, so individual and this whole question of behavior change is quite complex. So you might resonate high in the scale you introduce and it doesn't work. But, and you know, you might learn something about something that was on the bottom of the scale and you introduce and it does work. But in my experience, this is a, is not a bad set of heuristics. Well, I'll give you an example before. So where I would sit with yoga on that scale, when I look at your scale, and this is probably a good reason to, to say the scale works because on your native habit scale, when I think about yoga, I would probably yeah. align with either two or three. So number two is even though I'm not that intrinsically motivated, I know it'll be good for me and I need to make some change. Three, right. I'm definitely curious about it and I feel like I need to make some change. Right. I'm probably like at the moment when I'm limber, when I'm feeling flexible, I'd probably be falling into number two there. So I don't care. Basically, in short, I don't care enough about it. Whilst I'm flexible at the moment, I don't care enough for it, even though I know for longevity purposes, I should be doing it. Yeah. And I think if it was just the flexibility, I probably wouldn't care about it enough either. And I think I was conscious of that coming back, coming back to the practice this time. And I approached it a bit differently with those things in mind. So by pushing aside the meditation and saying, okay, I'm going to make this the kind of core of my, say, core of my practice that will include the contemplative and meditative aspects also. Now it's kind of opened up as something that that can kind of you know, a, a, a channel through which I can explore things that I'm more intrinsically motivated to explore. And when I first came upon yoga, that was it too. You know, I didn't know much about it at the time, but I knew it was a practice that contained a lot. And and the Kundalini is very much aligned with those other aspects, right? It's not just about the the asanas, the the stretching and and the flexibility. And, uh, you know, like I said, at that time, I committed to it actually probably every day for about a year and a half. So with those things in mind, I was kind of confident that it's something that I can take on, right? So, so that's it is the, native, the it's native thing. to you. It's native behavior. For me, for me, it feels like a native behavior, right? All right, cool. So the second thing is, you know, thinking about your outcome, right? What is it that you want from this? Now, if you're looking at yoga and you're saying, I want to be Mr. Yogi, Mr. Yogi Flexible over there, <laughs> ASAP, right? The thing we do, right, when we think about an outcome often, we look at somebody else, whether it's, uh, you know, Greta Thunberg or whether it's, uh, you know, Bikram. Uh, Mr. Yogi, Mr. <laughs> Bikram. <laughs> we say, um, we kind of look at them, we go, okay, what are they doing? Well, it depends, <laughs> depends what your scale is. It depends what your bad is. The, the, you know, we look at them and we say, what are they doing right now that, that situates them in the situation that they're in? And we kind of uh, reverse engineer it to, okay, you know, <laughs> Bikram was going to say, like, what's Bikram doing right now that allows him to be in this? No, so we look I at think, them and we uh, go, I okay, think, what uh, are they? I think, I, I think we just remove Bikram for any more, more conversation. I think you're not allowed. <laughs> I think his name has just changed to Hot Yoga, isn't that? The, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, don't don't endorse don't endorse him anymore. Right, so hot, hot Yoga. Anyways, go on. So yeah, you, you look at somebody and you say, okay, what is it that they're doing, right? And then you realize, okay, they're training two hours a day, right? So you say, okay, if I want to be that person, that's what I have to do, right? So all of a sudden you're like, you've reverse engineered this thing and it seems to make sense, right? It seems like a kind of reasonable logic. 
and you're like, okay, I need to do two hours training in a day. That's it. You get psyched up, you know, and you head out the door and you start and then very quickly you realize, right, that you don't have the, um, the kind of resources to be able to manage that. I chatted to someone recently who spent 400 quid on a gym, never went once, never went even once, just paid 400 quid. Hey, I wouldn't say they're the only person that's done that. No, no, I mean, I wasn't even surprised of it, you know, but it's, it's, it just goes to show like the difference between, you know, being willing to actually fork out that kind of money, you actually must feel kind of motivated unless you're just trying to trick yourself into it. And you obviously are projecting in a way that you anticipate being at the gym, but that obviously doesn't align with what unfolds given all the other contingencies that come about with your everyday life. So anyway. We think the two hours or whatever we say and we go about doing it and we all know the story, right? Uh, we don't commit to it. And then we feel bad about ourselves and then we just tell ourselves that there's something about us kind of thing. So the first, the first, the first kind of move, right, is uh, this, this process of distillation, right? So we talked about the native behaviors. The second kind of, um, say, step is this idea of distillation. And the first one is, okay, what is the thing that leads me to that kind of outcome that I desire. And that's the first kind of, say, level of distillation, right? So if you're thinking in terms of outcomes, which we normally are, we're not even thinking in terms of behaviors necessarily. You have to go, okay, what is it? Now, it might be the two hours, right? It might be, okay, well, this is the thing I need to do consistently over time to get to the place where this is the kind of outcome that it's producing, but there's a second kind of layer distillation, right? So we go from the vital behavior, which is this thing carried out over this amount of time, into what I talk about in terms of seed habits, and we've talked about that before. So first step is native behavior. Second step is distillation, which is a two-step process. Vital behaviors, which behaviors, if carried out over a certain period of time, will lead to the outcome desired, and seed habit. And the seed habit is, how can I simplify that vital behavior such that I can easily uh, instantiate it. And this is the phase of propagation, right? So you want to make it as simple as possible. We said before, it has to feel so easy that it's, it's, it, it feels like it's not even worth doing, right? And what it feels like it's not worth doing is with respect to the longer outcome, which might be, you know, I want to be Mr. Yogi Pants. But if, it's, if you change the sense of outcome, right, and that's where we're getting our feedback from, all of a sudden you can start to think about the logic of it, right? So because it's small, it's leading to the outcome, which is the sedimentation or the stabilization of the habit, which over time then leads to the outcome desired. So for me, I just said, I want to practice yoga with intention and make it my kind of core practice, uh, you know, spiritual practice or whatever. So that was the, 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 the vital behavior, right? If I can do that every day, whatever outcome comes, it comes. I don't really care. I'm not even committed to any outcome uh, necessarily, except making it a regular practice. Because it's the kind of thing, right? It's one of those keystones potentially that, you know, you don't just do it for a week or a month or a year. You do it for the rest of your life because it's part of that kind of maintenance, right? Uh, So that was the basic outcome for me or the vital behavior. And then the seed habit for the propagation phase, which I'm still in, was just show up in the mat, right? That was as simple as that, right? 
just show up in the mat and practice and and kind of open with intention so i had this kind of opening say set of steps that i used to go through in my meditation and i just carried that over and it was just a kind of preparation for practice so for me that was the seed habit right just show up in the mat go through that and do whatever you can do five minutes 10 minutes no minutes whatever but did you say you had like a 10 minute timer at one stage in a previous episode, or was that a plan that you didn't? You said you would have a ten-minute timer, and then you'd just do slightly longer in ten minutes. That was a plan, and then I I have done that, but at a certain stage, I modified it, and I was like, okay, how how do you make this even simpler? And the way to do it even simpler was just to turn up, just to get rid of, just to get rid of that constraint. I'll talk about that in a bit because I think there's something interesting there. But then the cornerstones, right, for me were, it, it already existed because f- for me, I had a, a meditation practice just after my breakfast. So it was just, if I'm getting rid of the meditation, just slot it in there, no hassle. And if I'm, tra- if I'm practicing in Dublin, that's pretty straightforward because we have a sitting room where our mats and stuff are left down. When I've been here, just uh, sorry, just clarify for anyone not from Ireland, what's a sitting room? Is that not a, is that not a thing? A living room? A living room? I, I don't know. It might be a thing. It's funny though, because I've lived at home and I haven't heard that phrase in a while. Sitting room. Sitting room. Sitting room. It's quite yeah. obvious what it is, but I don't know. I don't. Maybe I just haven't had a sitting room. Yeah, I don't know. If what do I have? Yeah. What do we have here? We don't have a sitting room. <laughs> a lounge. A kitchen. Kitchen cold. And then it's like open there. plan into the the living room. Living room is more Do common. We, is there a separate room for the sitting room? <laughs> you just no standing just, allowed. Just the uh, the uh, when I got here to 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 Tipperary, uh, things moved around a bit, and. The only place I could put my yoga mat was across the other side of the house and it was a bit cold. So I knew if it was cold in the morning that I wouldn't be going in there. So there was a small little heater here. So the first thing I did when I laid down my mat and kind of got it ready for practice the following day was left that little heater in there. So I knew when I was going in for my breakfast or going to the toilet in the morning, just go in and when I'm passing, switch it on. And then when I come in for my practice, I can turn it off or whatever. Just, just make it easier on yourself to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think that made a substantial difference because it was, a, it was even welcoming, right? Because the rest of the house is still a little bit cold, but having the heater on there and knowing that I'm going in there for my practice actually made it a lot, a lot more welcoming. So yeah, that was the cornerstones. And then the constraints that I was kind of using to facilitate that, well, I just talked about the heater. That was one that enabled it. And the other two were, said the checklist, which I do kind of nightly anyway, which is just, you know, what are you doing tomorrow kind of thing? What's your deep work tomorrow? Just a few questions. Uh, and I do that kind of regular anyway. And then... So what do you do that for just, yoga? Do you say tomorrow I'm going to do this pose? No, it's just like, are you, are you ready for yoga in the morning? Oh, so it's mat ready, heater in a place that I can turn it on. Yeah, yeah. Basically, so it's, just, it's a kind of yes or no. I have an app on my phone. It's like checklist app or something. It just has like seven or eight questions. I ask some in the morning, some in the evening. And uh, I normally, you know, when I talked about the master system for change before, 
that that checklist is really kind of a, an important part of it. And then the journal, I knew that because I'd kind of committed to this process of journaling, that I'd be more inclined to do it. Also, like just knowing that it's part of this EBD effort and that it's something I want to put out there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's no denying that that's a huge assist and enabling constraint in this process. Of course, yeah. And, um, you know, I, like we talked about before, if you can make use of such things where you're committing to a community of people, um, well, then that's, you know, you should make use of it, right? The easiest way to change your behavior is find other people who are acting in that way and then just hang around with them. <laughs> your behavior will just change. But the journal has been interesting. You know, the the kind of process of really paying attention to anything that says arising in my experience that might be relevant to the the change that's kind of taken place. You know, because a question for me is like, okay, at what point do you shift from the propagation stage with enough confidence that, you know, the thing is sedimented strongly enough that you can kind of take on the challenges, right? Did we talk about the metaphor of the boat and the ballast before? Yeah, you've, you've get, you sent it to me in the primary material. We never, we never talked about it on here, though, did we? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into that big long so, story. But if anyone wants to look at it, it's in the, uh, the. It's on the link in your Instagram. It was um, not spell checked, but <laughs> <laughs> this, anyway. yeah, I don't know if you were meant to share that. You just put it up, but sure, if it's out there now, it's out there. Yeah. Um, so the, why? Like nobody. If somebody reads that, they won't even know what they're supposed to gain from it. But what's the what's the metaphor there? I'll give you the, the kind of cliff notes. The So the metaphor that I'm kind of getting at <clears throat> is that, all right, I've said it before in the case of the seed habit, right? If you just come into a garden with a big log, right, and you throw it down the garden, which is, you know, the two-hour practice that you've never done before, and you're like, just take root there, and you just stand it up in the garden, <laughs> and you expect to come back in a week's time, and it's still standing there taking root. You know, it's not going to. That's not how these things work. It right? might be standard, but it'd be easy to kick it over. Right. And the fact is, it'll probably be already kicked over and have messed up the whole garden in the process. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, you know, if you think about, say, enabling constraints, if they're strong enough, right? If all of a sudden it's a life and death situ- situation, that's a bit like, you know, all of a sudden now you've got all these... Uh, stabilizing supports that are holding on to the big log and because they're so stable right that the the log will just stay right regardless so you know if it's a life or death situation all of a sudden the motivations have changed maybe you can introduce a two-hour practice right because you're so committed Um, but most of us most of the time don't have those kinds of stabilizing kind of um, constraints so the the idea with the the boat is is trying to recognize something similar right if a boat has a ballast, right? And we fill the ballast with water. I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Mm. Or, and, well, I don't know. Is that what it's called? <laughs> to our shouts out marine friends out there. Um, I think that's what it's called. It's, it's the thing that, stay, that drops into the water, right? And, it's in, and you fill it with water. Hull? And it helps. A hull. Could be a hull. <laughs> now you're throwing me. Whatever. A hull Whatever. works as a ballast. Is that it? <sighs> we'll go with that. Yeah. Don't we'll don't don't hold it there. Uh, go, on, go on, yeah. So um when the boat go out it 
rough seas, right? It encounters these rough seas and uh, gets thrown around a bit. But if it's got a stable ballast, right, it needn't get thrown around, right? It can kind of manage whatever it is. Now, if we go um, straight into a difficult, say, practice, two hours long, something we haven't done before, um, it's a bit like going out to sea without any water in the hull, right, in the ballast, right? You get thrown around. Maybe you can manage it because of some skill level you have, but it's such a kind of disorienting process that, you know, you just want to retreat to the dock and never think about going out to sea again. And, you know, the idea with the seed habit, planting the seed habit, the tiny habit and, and propagating it and allowing it to take root and all this, right? I'm mixing metaphors here, but it's a bit like you're kind of driving around the dock a little bit, you know, you're maybe getting a bit of the choppy waves and every time there's a bit of water getting you know, into some hole in the in the side of the hull and, and filling up the ballast. And you keep doing that often enough and then you start to have this sense of stability, right? And once you have the stability, maybe you can go out, see if you're ready for the kind of wider seas. If you get thrown around a bit too much and it's not, you know, it doesn't have that sense of kind of uh, a commitment to it, well, maybe come back in, do do the same thing again a bit, you know, paddle yeah, around yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. dock a bit, get some more water into the ballast and... So slowly but um, surely, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think, yeah. So, but, but then there's a question, right? At what point do you kind of realize that now I'm ready for the sea, right? Because you don't have a ballast or roots necessarily. And at what point am I able to kind of take on the, uh, yeah. the, the more challenging, say, dimensions of this practice, whatever it be? And I think what I'm starting to really appreciate is you know, you need to be on the lookout for certain things. And those certain things are the kind of elements of your experience that maybe surround this practice that suggest something about the nature of its sedimentation or the nature of its having taken root. So some things I was thinking about and I haven't have kind of noticed is um, you start to notice that this practice functions as an attractor, right? So remember before you talked about defaulting to like thinking about jujitsu, right? Yeah. I think if the habit is taking root, you start to relate to it in ways outside of the practice itself where you're kind of anticipating it and you can feel the draw from it. Right? And I think that's a good sign, right? So yeah, it's functioning as this kind of attractor. It's pulling your attention to, to it even when you're not engaged in it, right? So you start to notice yourself thinking about your practice the following morning in a way that's, you know, you're not, you don't have the resistance to it. You're actually maybe excited about it. You're looking forward to it. You're anticipating certain aspects of it in a way that feels like there's a draw towards it, right? I think that's a really good sign that you're getting to the point where it's got this kind of stability, right? Another thing that I noticed what is about, that... Is, is that mixed up? in say like a guilty feeling if you don't do it is there where's the where's the where's the where's the the line of ocd versus propagated habit yeah i think that's probably quite a bit dependent on disposition and like say somebody's tendency to feel bad about something you know it's a it's again it's if it works for you it works for you but i think probably paying attention to those things is good my sense is that, say, if it's a native habit, right, and you and it's well chosen, the feeling that 
you need to be doing it and it is something that you just don't not want to do is probably less likely. Now, that is just pure speculation. But, you know, something that, that's kind of well chosen should feel like this thing you're inviting into your life and, and it's going to be great. <laughs> I think there's some sense of that accompanying whatever it is that you've just invited in. It's funny though, yeah, because I think that you could probably talk about that at, at length as well, because there is a balance, I think, between introducing what you deem to be good in your life, then having it in your routine. And then if that gets disrupted, feeling bad or guilty or otherwise about it, and it might right. it might be insignificant, you know? Yeah. I suppose, you know, you can definitely use that that feeling too to get back on track. Right. You know, we, we all kind of know that feeling where we're kind of downward spiraling and um, we're spiraling down. And, you know, it's just some feeling of whatever accompanying that and uh, try and spiral back know, up. It can be a great kind of resource. I don't want to feel like this. I'm not or I'm not going to feel like this again kind of thing. Mm. And uh, yeah, use that as a motivation to get back up. The other thing that I found really interesting was and which I also take to be a good sign, right, is um, when you start with this kind of sense of joy in the practice and it's a seed habit and it's not that difficult, right, and it feels like, oh, I could I could do this more than I'm expecting of myself and all, all of that, right, that tends to accompany the seed habit. A sense of joy does start to, say, seep into the practice, right, and you kind of feel the joy in it. So, yeah, the, the, the other thing was, which is interesting, this kind of sense of identification with, right? So I found myself like looking for podcasts. So I'm doing the, the Ashtanga practice again to kind of keep things fairly simple for me because it's one set of asanas, um, one set of say, postures practiced in a series. But yeah, this kind of identification with manifesting in a way that's strong right so i found myself looking for a podcast and then and this is like you know not reflectively doing this and thinking oh i must be (laughs) i must be sedimenting these habits it was just like oh i must look for a podcast that's honest anger kind of thing and then listening to the podcast and feeling myself identified with certain of the things he was saying and kind of projecting myself into situations in the future where you know i could even more feel myself participating in some of the conversation that he was having. And I think, again, that's a good sign of, you know, this thing taking some root and it kind of organizing your, the way you make sense of things. But one thing I found myself journaling about too, is because even though I'm in the propagation phase and I only have to do a certain amount of time for a kind of win, if you will, because I have the space and time here, I I'm ended up doing longer practices in the full kind of um, awareness that I don't have to, but I'm, I'm doing them anyway. And, uh, you know, some days I've been encountering some resistance. And what I've noticed is that for me... This, What's re- what do you mean pra- resistance? Like, I just can't be bothered. A feeling of like... A, a kind of conflict, right? A, a tension. Whereas even though I want to do it, there's some like, yeah, I, it could manifest as I can't be bothered. 
or it could manifest as, oh, Tiredness. do I really have to do yeah, this yeah, yeah. or whatever. And um, I know that for me, that's uh, there's, there's something there that I need to reckon with in a more global sense. And that's partly too why I chose Ashtanga, right? Because it's often considered kind of like almost kind of hardcore because it is this one practice that you do every day. And, you know, it's something I want to kind of explore for myself, right? That feeling of uh, resistance to larger scale changes that you're making. And I do think there's some sort of, um, uh, you know, weird interest because because these are the kinds of things I'm interested in. Anyway, you know, of just kind of reckoning with that. But what I've noticed is in reckoning, in reckoning with it, that the 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 sense of the the kind of process of propagation in which you're finding joy in the practice because you're not committing to such a long practice or whatever the case may be and you're just doing whatever it is you want to do right for that first period where you're just laying down the roots having found joy in it and seeing yourself joyful in it kind of thing the resistance starts to show itself as as kind of illusory right and then illusory whatever resistance illusory illusory like a, an illusion of yeah. a sort right you, you start to see through it not that and you're a loser no illusory like uh, uh, there's a bit of that going on too for sure sorry I didn't the, recognize those uh, words amidst other words <laughs> yeah so the yeah the 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 kind of tension it's in the attractor you know towards the practice is much stronger and it's one that you kind of know is is opening you on to a certain experience of joy right so you can kind of see past whatever the resistance is the other aspect of that that i noticed was just being curious about the resistance is a great kind of dissolution of the resistance like when you i mean this is you know kind of mindfulness 101 if you will but the the kind of paying attention to it and inquiring into it rather than say resisting <laughs> it if you will um seems to kind of uh knock it on on its head a bit and put it out of the way and and just kind of committing to the practice um seems to resolve it a bit too but it reminded reminded me of something recently of um the uh Shinzen Young, the he's a meditation teacher. He talks about um he has this like equation for suffering, right? He says uh pain plus resistance or pain multiplied by resistance, sorry, um equals suffering, right? So you can have pain, you can have the sensation that would normally manifest as suffering, right? The pain sensation. Um, but when you don't resist it and inquire into it, you don't actually experience it as suffering and and that's kind of starting to ring true for me in, a, in an interesting way with respect to the behavior change too right because i suppose i've been through this so many times i'm trying to experiment with different types of change or different uh, strategies towards change and seeing if um you know i can push a little bit harder when i'm in the propagation phase is interesting right because i'm seeing that you know, the suffering, 
the thing that would manifest as suffering and then turn you away from the practice. There's a sense of if you can kind of inquire into it, you have a bit more freedom with respect to it and you can kind of follow your own intention, whatever that was, um, a bit more easy. So yeah, all that is proven interesting. And, uh, you know, I think for people, you know, so what again, do you mean? Like, if if, uh, what, what could you, how could you apply that to jujitsu? Like if you're pain by resistance equals suffering. So what, like people that are training, if they find themselves suffering at jujitsu, get rid of either the pain or the resistance and you won't have the suffering. No, so if I think most people who train jujitsu are addicted to jujitsu, and it's you know it's like it, we don't have to sh- tr- we don't have to convince ourselves to to get on the mat. It's like we're addicted. Me, <laughs> show me a mat, like <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it applies so much there. Just leave it after you mat. Just somebody tries to hug you. <laughs> exactly. Shoot for the underhooks. Yeah, but the pain. The suffering equals pain by resistance is a is a useful kind of a equation across so many things, right? I don't know, maybe there's some job in work that you don't really want to take on, but you have to. Or maybe <laughs> the child is screaming in the middle of the night and you can't get them to stop screaming. And you know it's it's a it's a kind of painful experience because you're tired, but the resisting the actual experience itself is going to lead to the suffering. Whereas if you're curious about it, um, now so what, yeah. So what's the opposite of resistance? Curiosity or embracing? <clears throat> yeah, I think commitment, curiosity, embrace. So remove the resistance. Own it is what you're trying to say. Own it's a good way of thinking about it. There's a great story. Pain by owning it equals no suffering. Pain multiplied (laughs) by owning equals no suffering. What's that equal sign with the not equal to? The the story of Sisyphus, you know the story of Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill? I'll tell it. Albert Camus. This is a fable or something, is it? Yeah, so this philosopher, extensions philosopher. Well, there's an old myth of Sisyphus, I guess it's a Greek myth. But he kind of retells the, the 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 fable. So he talks about right. So Sisyphus is kind of a his faith is to push this boulder up this hill for eternity, right? And you know, there's some sense in which all our lives are. We all have this kind of boulder to push up the hill, right? We're all tasked with something, but. Camus kind of work around and it's similar to this idea of curiosity rather than resistance, right? Is the the way to kind of make sense of it and to own it, if you will, is to become like the boulder pusher. You know, it's like you figure out the hill, every crevice in it, you know, how best to push the boulder, right? And you start to then generate this meaningful relationship uh, between the boulder and the hill and you're having to push it, right? And it 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 transforms it into something else where it's, I don't have to push this boulder up this hill. It's like, just give me a hill and let me push the boulder up because I'm the master at it. And, you know, that curiosity um, to the resistance that I'm talking about is a bit of a similar move, right? It's like, okay, I'm doing this thing and, you know, I'm probably going to, I don't, th- I don't think anybody comes to, say, a two-hour-long yoga practice, a shtanga practice, even in, 20 years 
into their practice and doesn't have some resistance, right? So you're always going to have to learn to encounter a little bit of this. And I think the way to learn to encounter it in a way that can kind of transform it right into something where it's no longer suffering, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an opportunity of sorts is to encounter it with this sense of curiosity, right? This curiosity and this kind of almost gamifying it. Mm. I heard, um, I suppose we, we started the podcast with Joe Rogan. We may as well finish with it. I heard that guy Richie on his podcast once talking about owning the suit, you know, just owning it. That's the key to a lot of things. Own the suit. Like he was talking about wearing a suit. Right. Like if you're going to be wearing a suit, you, you better own the suit, you know, and just. Oh, it's you know. true, isn't it? You can't just show you up. You can't just wear, the, wear a suit and not own it and, and be half-arsed. Like yeah, he, he, he wears the, the dandy the time, suit. He? Wears the dandy suits as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Also a jujitsu black belt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where we're at anyway for the week. Right. So that was good. Yeah. So just kind of a bit of a check in. Just a bit of a check in. No baby yeah, yet. Um, Keep tipping away. No baby yet. Uh, just uh, <laughs> we, we'll finish with logistics. I've heard you should never start with logistics. I went to a wedding once and the. Um, won't say whose wedding it was, but uh, the priest is very. The very first words out of his mouth were telling people where the toilets were. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, so the toilets are up here on the left. Fire emergency at the back. Straight into logistics. And uh, I heard, you know, is it Priya Parker? She talks about the art of gathering. Is that? Is that do you know that book? I've not oh. read the book, but I've heard like cliff notes related to it. Uh, but it says you should never, never start anything with logistics because it's right, your one. It's a kind of primacy effect, and 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 then people just have logistics on the mind and logistics. Well, that's it. Like it's your one, it's your one opportunity to. And profound is a strong word. It's your one opportunity to be profound. You've got everyone in a space. At you know, you could do anything. You could change their life in the <laughs> next minute, and then you talk about toilets. So. Um, <laughs> So uh, we'll finish with the logistics here. Anyone that's interested in more, jump on uh, Eco Behavior Designs. I know you've your Instagram isn't exactly like pumping the stuff up, but you've got it running. We've got some links in there. You're going to be putting. That's more- uh, that's not my fault. That is technical issues. I man. swear to God. Here, 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 man. Hang on, hang on, No, wait, wait, wait. I want to say. I'm not. I'm own not, I'm, the suit. I'm trying. I'm trying own to own the suit. I'm trying to also own, own the situation the that I've been confronted with. Literally, don't want to hear about it. Batteries not working. Don't Two hear laptops don't working. want to hear about it. Lights, man. Oh, lot, man. man. Unbelievable, Craig. Man, 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 man. Own the suit. So jump on there if you want more information related to your stuff. Other than that, yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll chat next week. So, um, obviously, there's plenty more core concepts we can get into. We'll get more into jujitsu and uh, go from there. But uh, leave it at that. Peace. Peace.